We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Who would you be without your morals, your ethics, your spin on life, your money, your time, your culture, your place. Who would you be without all those things you use to define yourself? Do your morals define you? I certainly have known of people who call themselves principled people. I am a principled person, and that's how they define their lives. Your ethics, same thing. What is your spin on life here on planet Earth, and how does that define you? What about money? How much or how little does it take to create a self-definition? What about time or culture or place? And if all of that were gone, who would you be? A better question is, is there someone inside of you who represents self-definition distinct from these externalized accoutrements? There are many people trying right now to come to terms with questions just like these. Some are psychologists, others are consciousness experts, and some are just everyday Joes trying to bridge the chasm between unconsciousness and consciousness. So let's start here. What happens when you meditate? Where do you go? What do you imagine this means? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we go there, what we want to need to understand is that we do have a self down inside of us that is not separate but distinct from all these definitions we want to give it. So when we say, I am this or I am that or I am the other, we are defining how we view our lives, how we view ourselves, what, how, how we sense ourselves in this world. And, and if that definition were taken away from us, many of us would just flounder. We've all heard of people who go into retirement and uh, are unable to cope with retirement because they have defined themselves by their jobs. I am whatever it is I do. I am a CEO. I am an attorney. I am a doctor. I am these things. And if I'm not these things, then who am I? So so these questions are very, very important to us as we graduate through the various levels of life. I once heard Neil Donald Walsh speaking, and he said, and I'm not going to quote him exactly, but it was something to this, uh, to this effect. I thought it was really funny. He said, when I was 15, I was my zits. When I was 20, I was my car. When I was 25, I was all the girls who wanted to date me. When I was 30, I was my job. When I was 35, I was my hair. <laughs> and, you know, he went on and on like that. So he was defining himself by the various things by which he could hold on, on which he could hold on to, to, to say, okay, this is me. So I'm losing my hair. Oh my gosh. What does that mean about me? How am I interpreting that? What does that mean about how I fit into the world, the schemata that I have made up in my own head? See, the, the biggest deal about fitting into the world is that we make up our own agendas about how that happens. Now, of course, society does have an impact on that agenda, and, I, and certainly we can talk about that but and have talked about that in previous shows. But, but we make up the idea of how we're going to fit into the world, and we, we identify ourselves by that. And then we say, okay, that's who I am. That's what I'll do. And then if something comes along that takes that away from us, then what do we do? What about the baseball or football players who get a, a knee injury or a shoulder uh, injury or something like that and they can no longer play? Now who are they? 
This is very important stuff we're talking about. And the first thing I want to bring to our attention is when we meditate, we go to a place of self. We go to a place deep within us where we can be with, present with that sense of ourselves. Now, some people will say that when they meditate, they go out of their bodies. And I have total respect for that. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about an out-of-body experience. I'm talking about an internal experience, an internal experience that is, uh, allows the body to be a part of the, the formless self, the, the self that is, doesn't necessarily have body as form. Uh, so here's where we unite form and formlessness. And, you know, we've spent several shows talking about that paradigm of how we came here to experiment with form and find out who we are in form and, and find out that uh, ultimately we are the divine in form, whereas once upon a time there was only formlessness. So, you know, I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time talking about that today. But what I'm talking about is when we meditate, we go to a place where we're present with the self. And that sense of self is who we actually are, as opposed to all the definitions we give ourselves that are more externalized definitions. So let's talk a minute, a bit, a minute about those externalized definitions. Morals, ethics. Now, the difference between, in my view, the difference between a moral and an ethic is one is more religiously connotated and the other isn't. A moral is, uh, has a religious connotation to it. If you're a moral person, most people would say you're probably a, a very religious person of some sort. If you're an ethical person, on the other hand, you would be somebody who just has some principles that you honor and you want to hold on to those and you don't want, uh, unfairness to prevail and things like that. So, so moral and ethics can be put into the same bucket, and I'm going to put them there for the purposes of our show today, today, because basically what they mean is that there's some rules to follow, and you should follow them. So I, I did a blog. I, many of you know that I have a blog on uh, the Psychology Today website called Traversing the Inner Terrain. And the last blog, the most recent blog that I did, was one that asked this question, who would you be without your morals? And I got some very interesting comments back with people, uh, offering all kinds of funny ideas about, uh, how they would, you know, uh, mow down people on the freeway and they would, you know, take certain people out of existence and things like that. And of course they were tongue in cheek, not serious, but tongue in cheek kind of metaphors for the idea that it, we think that without our morals, we will turn into these people that just run ramshod over everything that's out there and we can do whatever we want whenever we want to and yes we can but if we are our authentic self when we let go of our morals or ethics perhaps there's something deeper than morals or ethics that would be running us in other words if we come at life from the sense of authenticity then we're going to operate out of compassion and out of passion and those two things are going to guide us. Whereas, if we have morals, then we should be good to other people. Uh, and if we have authenticity, then we want to be kind and generous and giving to other people because it's in us to do. So, but we don't trust that. We do not trust that at all. And that is part of the duality trance state, which you all know I've talked about many times and will continue to talk about because I think we're all pretty much stuck in that until we get unstuck from it. And we're in a slow, steady process of becoming unstuck from it as we evolve more and more into higher consciousness. Um, and that state says we're separate from the divine, that, uh, because we're separate from the, uh, from the divine, then we are bad people. And the divine is good and we're bad and therefore there's, you can't put us, those two things in the same bucket together. So there's no way we can connect with the divine except through certain rituals, um, that are offered to us by certain religions. And, uh, once we've done that, we can get close to the divine, but we're still not one with the divine because if we say we're one with the divine, we're somehow blaspheming. Um, but if we, if, if the authentic self is actually our, our deepest essential divinity, um, what I call Elohim, the gods that created us, the gods that we are as we created ourselves. Of course, that's all metaphoric. It's not literal. But the idea is that we we came here out of our choice to to find out what it was like to live in form, 
because like I said, prior to that, there was no form. There was only formlessness, and formlessness was a part of our essential nature. Now we have an essential nature that is in form, but it feels separate from formlessness. And so we're on this journey of experimentation trying to see what it's like to live in form as if form were separate from the divine, but it's actually not. So as we process through this, what we come to understand is there is a deep essence to us that is formless and connected at the same time with form. We're going to talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness research is transforming health care. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. And today we're talking about who you would be without all the external accoutrements that we attach to our definition of self. And we started talking about morals and ethics. We put those in the same bucket. And we said that, uh, I, I said that I have just recently done a blog where I asked this very question and got lots of fun feedback from people who said that they might do all kinds of crazy wild, even considered bad things if they, if they were without their morals, they did what they didn't tell me is who they would be. What they were telling me was what they might do. But of course, often what we do comes from who we think we are. But who we think we are is not always who we actually are. So, uh, as we talk about this whole thing, we started about, uh, started off with a definition of self that we can get to as we meditate. That is a sense of self that is, uh, a peaceful, uh, very solid, very round, very open uh, sense of self. Now, that's the words I have for it. You may have other words when you get down there. Um, and again, I'm not talking about having an out-of-body experience where you go off into the into the universe. Uh, I think those are fine. But I'm talking about experiences where you uh, actually 
go down into yourself and experience in your, experience yourself as a, a real entity connected to body, mind, and soul. That is body, mind, and soul. Um, but when we think about morals, it's really, a, and ethics, it's really scary for us to imagine that we would not have those because we don't trust the authentic self, the soul, to run us. But uh, if you listen to some of the great master teachers, what they talk about is that their very initiative comes from the authentic self. Uh, Jesus said that he could do nothing of his own initiative. And he talked about the Father doing it through him and or, 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 or in him. And uh, the Father is a word that can be translated as source when you get down to its base meaning. So what he was basically saying there, as I interpret it, is source was his initiator. Source initiated everything that he did and said and thought and felt. Uh, and we, I think we can all get to that place and will. I think we all will get to that place. But right now, we're still very identified with our morals, so, it, or our ethics. So if somebody does bad things, classically bad things, then they're considered to be a bad person. And if somebody does classically good things, then they're considered to be a good person. And we define them that way. That is their identity. I've literally had People, inmates in prisons when I went to do some assessments in jails a long many years ago, uh, tell me, hey, lady, I'm a bad dude. You need to stay away from me. And what they were really doing was showing me how compassionate they were. They were, they were warning me about their evil that I might, they, I might get hurt by being close to them. And so they were showing me in that very statement that they were actually what we might call good. Uh, but they were calling themselves bad because they'd done so many bad things and they'd been placed in prison for it. And, and probably they felt somewhat out of control at times. Um, but the idea is that we identify with things that aren't necessarily who we are. Those people had shut off, compartmentalized parts of themselves that they did not recognize. So the warning came from that compassionate part of themselves while they maintained the identity as a bad dude. And they also would sneak to do good thing, quite classically good things in the same way that we might sneak to do something classically bad. So if I'm going to be a white-collar criminal, I might sneak to steal something from my office, pencils or paper or something like that from my office, whereas uh, – or, it, you know, we sneak to uh, cheat on our income tax, which I don't do. But, if you know, those are the things we might sneak to do and – uh, a, a, a criminal in jail might sneak to give a, a fellow inmate a, a gift or tell him something that his daughter or son wants him to know, but he can't see that daughter or son. Um, so those quote-unquote good things are not registering as, oh, I've got good and bad that I do. That just doesn't register. They're just a bad dude, and that's what they see, and that's all there is. So they've compartmentalized these other behaviors so that they don't realize them. And in the same way, people that are classically good people will compartmentalize those things that are classically bad in order to feel that they're good people. And that's how we split ourselves off. The truth is we're neither good nor bad. We're neither one. We're not. And there are no good or bad deeds. Certainly, uh, this is not said to, uh, to say that everyone should go out and become a serial killer. But it is, and nor am I suggesting that society should get rid of all of its rules. So I want to say I'm, I'm not, uh, offering a political change or shift here. What I am offering is a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift that says, how identified are you with your morals? And to the degree that you're identified with those morals, that's the degree to which you are not being authentic. Because you're not coming from what's real inside of you. You're coming from a should and ought to and a have to. And you incorporated those from the external world. And you might still agree with the same behavior if it were coming from your authentic self. But we don't know that because it's not. And so... So what I'm suggesting is that perhaps that identification is the problem. Um, the same is true with our philosophy of life. What is your spin on life? What is that? You know, some people say, I, I, I heard something the other day and I said it in one of the shows previously that I thought was really good. Somebody, some people say the glass is half empty. Others say the glass is half full. And I say, are you going to drink that? Um, the idea there is that, uh, you know, it, it's it's something to drink. Drink it. Enjoy it. Live it. Stop trying to decide what it is. What, if it's half full, it's half empty, who cares? It's got something in it. Drink it. 
Uh, and that is more of a, uh, an essential, unconditional life kind of mentality. Uh, unconditional life is the same as unconditional love. So that, uh, unconditional love loves us regardless of what we do, say, or think. Unconditional life is a life that isn't judged or interpreted by its behavior. So, you know, I had an automobile accident or I lost my job or whatever. Does that mean life is over? No, no, it doesn't mean that. And it might mean that an identity is kind of on the wane. And that's a good thing. That might help us get more in touch with who we really are. But it doesn't mean life is over. And I certainly have lots of people that I work with who come in and tell me, well, I've got this disease or I've got, I've had this terrible thing. I've got this divorce. I've got this, you know, uh, this thing I have to give up like alcohol. And it just feels like life is over. Just feels like life is over. There's no more life left. Well, that's not an unconditional life. That's a conditional life. Life exists only in terms that I can understand. And so I judge life to be over if I don't get it to be like I need it to be. Uh, that's not unconditional life. Unconditional life says life is, drink it. Life is, drink it. That's what unconditional life says. And so whatever our spin on life is, uh, is a way of making life conditional. So if I say, well, life is all good, and something that seems to be really bad happens to me, then I might say, well, that's not life. That's not living. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's your life right now. So what are you going to do with it? You see what I'm saying? So that, that whole idea is that we're going to have that unconditional spin instead of a conditional spin. If I say that, uh, you know, uh, life's a, a dirt sandwich and I eat a bite a day, well, you know, that means I think that life is all bad. Well, what do I do when something good happens? I dismiss it. I say, well, no, that can't be good because I, life isn't good. And certainly you and I have both known people who feel that way. Um, those are glass half empty types of people. And, or maybe the glass is, is totally empty in their mind. But the idea is if there's something there, use it. And there's always something there. There's always something there. We wake up in the morning. That means there's something there. We're breathing in and out. That means there's something there. You know, I have people who say, you know, that they can't get out of the house anymore because they are, uh, they've had some kind of, um, disabling problem that makes it really hard for them to get out of the house. And, you know, certainly I have a lot of empathy for that situation and I'm very grateful that that's not my situation, my challenge, but that is their challenge. And so my, my uh, input to that is to offer them that as a challenge rather than as life is over now. Um, So, okay, this is your challenge. This challenge is a part of life. So what do you want to do with this? Um, I also have people tell me that my life is meaningless if I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. If I'm not able to get out of the house or if I can't go serve other people or if I can't be that missionary I always wanted to be or if I can't um, become a best-selling author. If I can't have these things, then my life is meaningless. And that's a really dangerous place to go because what that says is life has to measure up to my idea of meaning or it has no meaning. And what happens to most of us when we feel that life has no meaning is we begin to get hopeless and that's a form of despair. And then we get slipped down the slippery slope into depression. So, uh, I, you know, I really caution if you hear those kind of mantras coming up in your head to ask yourself, what is your spin on life? And what is it that you're saying to yourself that makes you think that what you're saying is truer than what is really true? Because what is actually true is that we are living life, and it is unconditional, whether we want it to be or not. Uh, One of the sayings from um, Alcoholics Anonymous that I really like a lot is uh, taking life life on life's terms, that we have to learn to take life on life's terms. And I really, really believe that. And I, you know, as a mental health therapist, I've sort of stolen a lot of those old adages from, from AA because I used to work in the alcohol, uh, drug and alcohol field. And a lot of those sayings are so powerful simply because they're short, sweet, to the point and very direct, poignant statements about life. And that's one of them. We have to learn to take life on life's terms. Life is not supposed to be measuring up to our terms. Our terms can be faulty, but life is offered as it is. So, Drink it. 
Okay? So, you know, that's, that's a way of not identifying with your life. If you're saying life is what it is, then I, my, whatever my spin on it is may or may not be true, but here it is. I'm going to drink it. And that way you don't identify with what's happening in life. You simply live it. Uh, what about money? That, that's another one. How much money do you have to have to feel like life is meaningful? How little money do you have to have to call yourself poor? Or to call yourself uh, a part of that uh, that socioeconomic field that we call poverty. Uh, how? What is that? What are you calling yourself based on the amount of money you've got? That becomes a self-definition. And if you're defining yourself by that self-definition, then you're going to add all kinds of things to that and assume all kinds of uh, attire that goes with it. So... <coughs> Excuse me. So if I, if I think of myself as having poverty, then I might say that that I've got to, you know, live in a certain place and I've got to hang out with a certain kind of people and I've got to be able to uh uh work really hard to and maybe work two or three jobs to make it and I'm just sort of stuck there. And so I've got to uh, live into that. That's my identity. That's who I am. And so if something comes along that says, here's more money, I might go, oh yeah, that's not possible for me because this is my identity. This is who I am. Or <clears throat> I might say, I'm really, uh, I live in poverty. And so, you know, the world, I'm angry at the world that I have to live in this poverty. And so they owe me. And so I'm supposed to get them to take care of me. And if they don't, well, I'm, I'm just going to take what's mine. I'm, I can do that too. That becomes my identity. That becomes my spin, and I live into that. And and so, if somebody comes along and says, "Here, there's a way to make money without, you know, doing all this," then I might dismiss it. No, you can't do that. I'm I come from poverty. You don't understand. I have to take what's mine. I can't. Be, it won't be given to me. You see. So so we 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 live into that. It becomes our identity, and we live our lives based on that instead of living our lives as if life is an unconditional thing and. And we, we, we are the creators of the conditions. So, you know, we decide where the ceiling is. We decide where the walls are. And we can do with that whatever we want. So I guess what I'm not saying here is that life's a ball of cherries and, and, you know, everything should be just wonderful. Cherries do have pits. But I, but I am saying that life is unconditional. And who we are beyond our ideas about life is everything. We'll be back in just a minute for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness research is transforming healthcare. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. 
You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Hi, we're talking today about who you would be without your morals, your ethics, your spin, your money, your time, your culture, your place. We're asking the question, is there someone inside of you who represents self-definition distinct from these externalized accoutrements? And these externalized accoutrements define us because we see ourselves as form only, as separate from formlessness, as separate from the divine within us. So, you know, we could spend a lot more time talking about that. We're not going to do that. But what I do want to talk about now is culture. We talked about morals and ethics and who we might be without those. We talked a little bit about money, about spin, about our philosophy of life and who we might be without that. And then we talked a little bit about money and how we see ourselves as defined by how much money we have or don't have. And now I want to talk about culture because culture is a big, big deal. Not only with regard to specific ethnic cultures, but with regard to whatever culture we identify with, work culture, family culture, uh, tribe culture, um, national or- or- origin culture, um, national culture, state culture, city culture, church culture. There's all kinds of cultures, and they interact and interface with each other in all kinds of ways that we don't even really notice. Um, so there are codes that come with each of these cultures. So it, uh, if you're in a workplace where everybody is very, very friendly and and um, the boss is one of those pleaser, big buddy types who says we're just all friends here and wants to make friends with everybody and everybody tells their personal business. And so the code of that place is we're all friends here. So if you've got a problem with the boss – well, you know, that's a little harder to say because, you know, we're friends and you just don't want to be rocking that boat. And uh, if you actually end up saying what you really think to this uh, enmeshed kind of system, then you're then you might be rejected outright. You might, you know, entirely lose your job. So that's a culture and it's got a code. And, and these codes, if you ask yourself. What were the secret messages in your family that nobody spoke of but everybody knew? I bet you'll be able to come up with a couple. And the same is true with your jobs. What are the secret messages that everybody in the in the job knows, nobody speaks of, but everybody knows? And everybody acts as if they are the final, ultimate, authoritative truth. Uh, these are the things that we that we live out of, these things that are unspoken, and yet we initiate our movements and our judgments and our behaviors out of the shoulds and ought tos and have tos of these cultural mores. So who would you be without that? Would you, would you still operate the same way you do at work if you didn't have those? Would you operate the same way you do at church or at home or in your school or on the streets or in the store? You know, where, who would you act like? What, what would you feel like inside if you didn't have that culture to define you? And here's how culture defines us. It holds up a mirror and says, are you one of us or not? That's how it defines us. And so we, we, if we are living into that, we're, oh, yes, yes, I'm a part of the group. I'm going to do whatever it is you want me to do. That's how we, you know, split off. It's interesting to me as I, as I sort of survey from my own little corner of the world, I survey what's going on in the world through CNN and the Today Show and all those things. And I, and, and, you know, I see this sort of high school culture becoming a part of young adult and then, uh, middle-aged adult vernacular. So we, you know, once upon a time, there was no name for the people that were sort of the, the people who didn't have a lot of friends. They weren't very popular. Perhaps they were pretty smart, made good grades. Um, you know, they didn't always dress fashionably and all that. There was no name for those people. Now we call them nerds. How did that happen? Well, it started in high school. Somebody gave them a name and we just all have fallen in line with that. We've all said, oh, those are nerds. That's what they are. And, you know, people will even say to you, well, I'm a nerd. That's what I am. So they're defining themselves by that definition. Is that really who they are? Where is their individuality in that? Do they get to be individuals in that or are we just, oh, okay, that's who you are. That's okay. Now we know everything we need to know about you. Um, those kinds of definitions come to us from our culture and largely, sad to say, they come to us from high school ethics. 
you know, we talk as adults, 30, 40, 50 years old, we talk about high school as if it's this, you know, not so great place where people are immature and do immature things. And there's these cliques and there's these, you know, ways that we sort of badger each other and try to fit in. And, oh, my gosh, what a hard time and what a great time. And I have friends that are just totally identified with high school, and that's the best time in their lives. And they'll tell their children, oh, this is going to be the best time in your life. Live it good. I'm like, really? From 16 to 19, 18 is going to be the best time of your life? Wow. Then it's all over? I don't think so. So, so you know, we. but that that culture has now defined the larger culture in many ways that we're not even paying attention to. And and that's kind of scary because what that means is we get to shut other people out from our culture. This is my culture. You got to fit in with my culture. You got to do what we do. Uh, so that that idea splits us off from other people instead of having us unite with other people in empathy and understanding and oneness. Uh, so, but we identify with that. Well, I'm a nerd. Well, I'm popular. Uh, my granddaughter a couple of weeks ago was talking about being one of her friends had told her she didn't want to be friends with her anymore because she was not popular. I was like, seriously, really? You know, and this child's not even in high school. So I, I was thinking, what can I say to her to help her through this? And what I did say was, you know, I wasn't very popular in high school either, but I'm good today. And I was okay back then too. You don't have to be popular to be happy. I said, you know, popularity means you have to give up yourself to fit in with the group a lot of times. And if you, if you can be, if you can be yourself and still be a part of the group, great. But if you have to give up yourself, what have you got? Nothing. And so many of us still are operating out of that mentality. Even though we call ourselves mature, we're still operating out of that mentality. So we are defining ourselves by the cultural codes in which we live. And that definition is questionable at best and dangerous at worst because if we don't fit into the culture, then what? Then who are we? Do we have to find another culture to fit into and how will we define ourselves then? That all is based on the idea that we're separate from the divine, that we're separate from ourselves, that we can't go in there and find peace. What I'm saying is all peace comes from inside. It doesn't come from whatever group we're identified with. It doesn't come from our morals. It doesn't come from our ethics. It doesn't come from our spin or our philosophy on life. It doesn't come from our money. It doesn't come from our culture, and it doesn't come from our place. It comes from within us. And so if that's really true, then who are we beyond all those things? Is there someone inside of me who represents me distinct from these other externalized accoutrements? And is that someone inside of me actually the initiator of my thoughts, my words, my deeds, and my behavior? My, yeah, I said behaviors, deeds. You know, am I being defined in, by that part of me or am I being defined by my, the accoutrements that I've attached to myself because I feel like I have to to fit into the world or because I have to because that's how I survive? So that, that question that I'm asking here is is not about, again, I want to say this, I'm not saying we should just throw out morals and, you know, throw out all the rules and, you know, break all the laws and forget about all them. I'm not saying that. I'm not instituting any new regime of, of political persuasion here. I'm talking about a paradigm shift that takes us from the outer to the inner, from Defining ourselves by our morals. I'm a good person. I'm a bad person. I'm an okay person. I do a little good and a little bad. So that makes me safely ensconced in the medium range where I'm not either one, not too holy, not too horrible. And I'm an okay person. So that makes me okay. And what else are you besides okay? Really? That's all you are? I don't think so. Um, so that asking those questions take us deeper and deeper and deeper into who we are. And that is going to get us to peace. That is the only thing that's going to get us to peace. Because peace doesn't come from outside of us. It just doesn't. That's why um, some Christians call it the peace that passes understanding. It's because it, it doesn't define itself by its accoutrements to the world, its attachments to the world. It doesn't define itself by the culture, by the money, by the morals, the ethics, the spin, the place. Let's talk about place for a minute. You know, place is one of those things that I can resonate with. Um, I was forced uh, when I was a child to move far, far away from my home. My, 
that I loved very much. And I missed that home for many, many years and thought, I will not be happy until I go back and live there. And I've come more and more to terms with that over time, of course, because I've realized that my happiness doesn't come from where I live. It comes from who I, where my essence, who I am. But, but certainly I do think place has resonance and I think it's important, but it's not the end all and be all. And if you find a place that you resonate with and you can live there, do it. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't have money. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a part of the culture or that you should have, should not have ethics or morals or they shouldn't have a philosophy of life. What I am saying is that you are not defined by those things. There's something bigger inside of you that actually is you. And if you define yourself by those things, you're missing that whole thing. You're missing out on yourself. People talk to me a lot about loneliness. You know, they come and see me and they say, you know, I'm really lonely. I really wish I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I wish I had, you know, I was married. I, I just can't stand the loneliness. I'm so lonely. And my response to that is, you know, certainly I have empathy for them and I give them that as well. But my response to that is basically this. We are lonely when we're missing ourselves. It's not other people that keep us from being lonely. We can be lonely in a crowd. It is knowing who we are and being able to be present with ourselves that keeps us from being lonely. That doesn't mean that we won't be alone. You can certainly be alone and not be lonely. But it does mean that you're, that if you have yourself, you have everything. And everything that comes after that is icing on the cake. We'll talk some more about this right after the break. Stay tuned. The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness research is transforming health care. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back for the final segment of our show today, talking about who you would be without your morals, your ethics, your spin, your money, your time, your culture, and your place. Who would you be without all of that? By- Byron Katie talks about who you would be without your story. And I think so much of our story is wound up in our philosophy of life, our morals, our ethics, the, the, the idea of money, our culture, our time. How much time do you have every day? You have the same amount of time I do. <laughs> we all have the same amount of time, but somehow some of us seem to be able to not be worrying about time and others of us seem pressured by time. So what is that? That means that from inside of us, we're, we're identified with time as a part of the pressure upon us. And, uh, if that's not true, then who are you? 
Who are you if there's no pressure of time on you? So these are the questions we're asking. And what I asked with that was, is there someone inside of us that represents self-definition distinct from these externalized accoutrements? Now, I don't mean separate from it. I do mean distinct from it. Um, and what that means is I am not the accoutrements. I am not my money. I am not my morals. I am not my ethics. I am not my time. I am not my culture. I am not my place. I am not my philosophy of life. What I am is a self, a genuine self that is deep down inside of me. And I experience that in certain given ways that only I can experience it. You experience yourself in certain ways that only you can experience it. And if we share those experiences, we will find some similarities and we will find some distinctions. But the truth is that when we go from, when we come from there, we begin to initiate our lives from that instead of from all of these other external pressures on us. We have external pressures from morals. This is what you should do. This is what you ought to do. If you don't do this, you're a bad person. If you don't do this, you should feel guilty. These are the moral moral codes or the ethical codes that are on us. We, we feel pressure from our own philosophy sometimes if our philosophy lacks a peaceable kingdom, that our philosophy says we should be uh, there for other people because suffering occurs because there's not enough people there for other people. I certainly know people who live entirely out of what I call a helper identity. Uh, and that identity comes from, I will be a bad person if I'm not always helping other people because there's so much suffering in the world that if I'm not doing everything I can to, to eliminate that suffering, then I'm somehow a part of it. I'm somehow a cause of it. And that's an identity. And what an enormous pressure that is to perform constantly out of that. And when I've worked with people who have that identity, you know, by the time they get, have lost everything and have, you know, fallen into, you know, total despair because they can't help people from that position of having lost everything, that's when they're challenged to say, okay, who am I now? If I'm not a helper, who am I now? And that is a very special place, that juncture in our lives where we have lost so much that we identified with and we have to ask the question, who am I now? That's when we're going to get some real answers. Prior to that time, we don't know. We're so caught up in the external accoutrements that we just don't know who we are. And we certainly don't know how to come from that. So it's possible to meditate, even meditate twice a day, and still not come from that place. Uh, coming from that place means it becomes the initiator. It becomes the initiator of your thoughts, your feelings, your words, your deeds. And how does that transition take place? Well, we begin more and more to believe in it as the force, the vital force of our lives. As long as we believe that the vital force of our lives is the boss who we have to be, we have to please to make sure that we don't ever lose our jobs or, uh, or the wife or husband who takes care of us emotionally in some kind of way or the alcohol or the drugs or our philosophy of life or a helper identity or something like that. As long as we believe we come from that, then that's where we come from. But if we come from source, which is who we actually are, then that becomes our source. And so the more time we spend with that and see it as vital energy, then it becomes a part of our doing, thinking, feeling behaviors every day. Um, I heard someone say the other day that um, that the shadow is the part of us that doesn't that doesn't accept or receive us, and I completely agree with that. The part the shadow is created out of lack of reception, is created out of I don't accept that, so let me send that away into the unconscious. Um, and when we do that, we split ourselves off. But what's most interesting about the unconscious to me is not all the stuff we don't accept that's in there, but the fact that also and unaccepted in there is our divine self because we don't live out of it. In the unconscious, along with all those other things that we don't want to know about ourselves, is the fact that we are divine beings. And so when we go down to that deep meditational place, we have gone down into the unconscious and arrived at, at a place where we're sort of holding ourselves in ourselves. Uh, we hold the body and the soul. We hold the mind and the soul. We hold the soul in the in the divine source of soul. We, we, there's a holding that takes place in that sense of ourselves as alive and essential. And there's an energy that comes from that that begins to produce within us something 
That is behavior. Now, we still have the choice. We are still the choice makers. Um, absolutely. But if we can feel the energy of that authentic self, that soul coming forth to, to present itself, and we also feel an old identity raising its head and saying, no, I want to do this, then we can begin to get a dialogue going between the two of those. Not go away old identity because that's not going to help. You don't, you square off against yourself and you lose. So anytime you square off against any aspect of yourself, be it a, a, a mask and costume or a way of behaving, anytime you square off against that, you are sending part of you back into the unconscious, which means it's going to come back up later and present itself again. So you might as well just begin to talk to it, hear from it. What does it need? What does it want? Hold it and listen to it like you would a little child. Instead of sending it away, listen to it. What does it have to say? And what you might find in there is a profound message that actually comes from what's under that role, that that behavior, thought, word, deed, role, whatever, um, that is telling you something real. An example that's really easy for us to see is when we have a lot of resentment built up over the years because we've been serving and serving and serving other people and nobody's been there for us and we, and we, uh, need to, we, we need friends but all of our friends just want to use us and we've got this resentment built up. If we look, turn and look at that resentment and listen to it, what it's really saying to us is you are doing a lot of stuff that is not authentic. Stop it. Okay, that's what it's saying. And and if we listen to that message and really honor it, it can change our lives. But what we do is instead we say, oh, I shouldn't feel that resentment. I'm a bad person for feeling that resentment. Let me send that back into the unconscious. And then, of course, it just comes back up later, bigger and sometimes uglier and sometimes in the form of really nasty behavior. So we're not going to get rid of those the masks and costumes we wear, or the identifications with the external accoutrements. What we do want to do is... Embrace them. Listen to what they have to say. Listen to the under message that is just beyond, okay, I resent that. Okay, why do you resent that? What is that about? I resent it because I'm having to do all this stuff. Wait, wait, wait. You're having to do all this stuff or you're choosing to do all this stuff? Oh, I'm choosing to do all this. Well, why are you choosing to do all this? I'm choosing to do all this stuff because I believe that if I don't do all this stuff, then I'm going to be a bad person. Okay, where'd that come from? Now we got a dialogue going. Now we're going to be able to get somewhere. That's what it takes. So what I would say is, again, is there someone inside of you who represents self-definition distinct from all the external accoutrements we've talked about today? If so, go find her. Now, next week, I'm going to uh, run my interview with Tom Shadiak again. My daughter's going to have a baby due that day, and I'm going to be there for that. Wouldn't want to miss it. So if you haven't already heard the interview with Tom, or even if you have, enjoy it. It's all about his documentary called I Am. Stay tuned for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.